Hey everybody, this is Rave Telsch, and this is episode 25 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. As always, hope everyone is having a great week out there this week. Got not much to talk about in the intro this week because this was a longer conversation than I normally have about a movie, and so I want to get straight to it. Um, but I am starting to run a little low in the guest queue, so I'll be setting up some future guests here in a little while. So if you are interested in coming and talking about a movie or you know someone who might be interested in coming and talking about a movie, send them my way. You can find me at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. You can find me at Have Not Seen This Podcast on Facebook. Or, of course, you can email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com or go to the website and fill out the form there about being a future guest. I- I'm fine taking instant messages through Facebook or Twitter or emails or whatever. Just if you want to talk about a movie, just get in touch with me and I'm happy to get you set up for a future episode. Um, The sky's the limit. And this episode kind of proves that this is not my first international call, but I'm just blown away by the world we live in today. The first interview I did for my old podcast, I was calling someone in New York City from Virginia, and the interview was a debacle. It it just, it fell apart. The interview itself was great, but there was no way to record it. Skype was not far enough in its evolution that it could connect to a landline at the time, and it just ended up being kind of an embarrassing mess when I'm trying to talk to this published author about movies. And fast forward to today, and we have already had a call with someone in England and someone in Vienna. And then this week, uh, he and I didn't even talk about where he was until we actually sat down to record. And he's in Algeria. This is North Africa. So we, we truly have gone international with the guests that I've had on the show. And it just blows my mind that this is the world we live in, that I can sit down in my living room on, on a weeknight and have a conversation with someone in Algeria or Vienna or England or, or wherever. Uh, it's just fantastic. But the guest for this week's show, uh, his name is Yagami. And he was a little daunting when we first got things set up, not not him himself, but he chose The Matrix as his movie pick. And I have to be honest, I was a little nervous about talking about The Matrix on this show, because as I mentioned in the episode and I've mentioned before, I did my undergraduate thesis on The Matrix trilogy. And so I have a lot to say about these movies, and I was very nervous about talking about them in the context of the show as far as would I talk too much, would I disagree with his opinions because I have this very set perspective on the films, Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And and this ended up being one of my absolute favorite conversations that I've had for the show, and I, I know I say that quite frequently. And it's true. I, I really enjoy all the conversations I'm getting to have. But Yakami is very passionate about film. And that comes through in the conversation. And it made it just an absolute delight to talk with him about The Matrix. That's part of why you'll notice the episode runs longer than usual. And I don't stick to the normal formula that I use for the episode, because we just go And there's a lot of fun to be had. I think, honestly, out of all the episodes I've done so far, uh, this one represents what I want a conversation about movies to be with a guest, which is where they bring a movie that they love so dearly that we can have this kind of a conversation about it. It ends up being a fantastic time, and we barely scratch the surface on the movie because there's so many other things to talk about. 
including some really shocking information you're going to find out in the first few minutes of the episode as far as Yagami and his movie-going experience. So with that said, let's just get straight into the episode, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. I certainly have had a blast re-listening to it for editing. I had a blast talking with him about it in the first place, and it's, it's a great episode. So here you go, 1999's The Matrix. Let's head down the rabbit hole. What's the movie-going experience like there for you? I mean, is it any different than anywhere else? Or I mean, is there anything special about going to the movies there? It is vastly different because, number one, most of people know that this is a developing country. So, you know, it's not just like the United States or other countries. The sad part is the town that I live in no longer have movies, theaters. So most of the movies I watch are from the internet, you know, and recently from Netflix and other streaming services. But we're talking about The Matrix. I had to pirate The Matrix (laughs) the first time. (laughs) I had no choice. But the good news is uh, I had a cousin who was in France at the time, and he was a huge fan of the movie. So he brought the trilogy with him, and I was able to watch it at a much, much better quality because pirating a movie is seriously bad. And it's not, you know, something that anyone should do. But the biggest problem is that you get a huge bad quality because it's just basically someone in Russia, you know, videotaping the movie. And at the time, the recording devices were not that good. So the quality was extremely bad. You'd see people going up and, you know, someone is coughing right in the middle of the scene. It was it was something. But that was the only thing that I did at the time. That was the only way I could watch movies. And... I know this will sound crazy, but I have never set foot in a movie theater. It's basically one of my dreams to do so once I have the chance. Wow, you've never set foot in a movie theater? No, sir, I didn't. It bends my mind. I love movies. It's just that I came at a time where movie theaters were closing, people weren't going there, and people weren't interested. So... They closed, and that's the end of it. And now there is some movie theaters that do, you know, broadcast top-notch movies, you know, like The Avengers, for example. But it's so expensive. It's really expensive. You have to pick the movie you want to go to. And, of course, it's far away, so I never had the chance. But I got you. Yeah, prices have gone up significantly here. I mean, I when I first started reviewing movies, I usually went and saw geez, two or three theatrical releases a week. It would not be uncommon for my Friday or Saturday night to be going to the movie theater and seeing a movie and, and timing it out so that I could get two or three different films in. But And now I, I maybe see one in the theater a month. I, I don't get to go that often, partially because it has become rather cost prohibitive. But I can't imagine not even going to see one in the theater. That's really interesting. Not being able to, yes. Now, the problem is, if you didn't know about theaters and everything and the magic that happens there, you'd be like, oh, no one cares. But the problem is, you have grew up watching those things. You grew up watching, you know, Hollywood movies, and you see those people going to the theaters and eating popcorn and everything, and you would want to do that, but it's not possible for you. So, yeah, it's there's always this burn. Uh, I th- like I said before, I want to see something in 3D Max. That's the uh, current objective that hopefully in the near mm. future will happen for me. But I would do that. 
Yeah, and I would I, I, that would be even more pressure to make sure you pick the right movie to have that experience with, I guess. Uh, something I guess we take for granted because so many movies are released in, in 3D. My personal philosophy has been, you know, what did the director intend? Because when 3D became a big deal, everything was being released in 3D and a lot of the movies were just being converted to that. So my philosophy has always been, did the director actually intend for this to be in 3D or is it just a gimmick the studio is using to sell more tickets? Oh, yes, especially those movies who were specially uh, not designed, of course, especially shot around 3D. I hate those. You see that it's forced. There's this long scenes of some ship flying or someone going really fast so that they sell this whole technology to the people who are watching it. I hate those. I would love to see a movie, like, for example, The Lord of the Rings in 3D, 3D Max and everything. It's an amazing experience, but it's just something to elevate the amazingness that is that movie. I don't want something to you know, distract me from the movie. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I mean, that's, I saw when Avatar came out, it, it was a big deal because Cameron wanted that to oh, be yes. in 3D. And when I watch it now, I still remember what the 3D experience was like, even though I don't watch it in 3D anymore because it was designed for that. So it's easy to remember. It's easy to watch it now and go like, oh yeah, this was like that. Whereas there are other movies that I've seen in 3D that are that, that was a miserable experience, specifically for the reasons you mentioned. It just wasn't designed for that. Well, everything is forced is obviously not good. It goes without saying. I don't know. To be honest, I have no idea what the experience is. So I'm going to have to rely on you to describe it for me. Is it something that <laughs> you have to do or is it not really that spectacular? Um, I think it depends on the movie. Uh, you know, I mean, as I said, Avatar, I can't, I can, I can watch it in 2D and I still remember what it was like to see in 3D because it was that powerful of an impression. And I can only think of one or two other movies that were that way. Like Tron Legacy was really cool oh, I love Tron. because the, when up until Sam goes into the computer, it was presented in 2D. So it became kind of this Wizard of Oz type thing where, you know, when Dorothy lands in, in Oz, everything becomes color. And it was kind of that way with Tron Legacy, where when he goes inside of the computer, now everything's in 3D. And I thought that was a really impressive way of handling it. Oh, that's and it incredible. played really well. But most movies, I don't bother with 3D. It's just not worth it. Yeah. Which kind of leads me to the conversation that I always have with my cousins, for example. They love movies. And because they're older, they do prefer the older style of movies, you know, the stuff that is always story-based with those amazing actors, you know, old school stuff and everything. And I am a little bit younger. I'm 34, by the way. But I like both. For me, a good film is something that has a good story. I don't care if it is fantasy. I don't care if it is The Godfather, for example. As long as there is a good story, I will watch it. I... Yeah. Kind of hate the fact that it needs to be something like the Godfather, Green Mile, or something in order for it to be good for some people. I hate that. I would love to see something good. That's it. And sometimes being fantasy is really good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And I'm, I mean, that's why the movie we're talking about today was one of my favorites, oh, not yes. just because of the special effects. And it's definitely a popcorn flick as far as action goes, but it also has really good characters and a, a deeper level that you can kind of mine into. Uh, and that's, that's what I want. I want characters I can care about 
and, and to me, that's the heart of any good story is that you care about the characters. If you don't care about the characters, then the story is not going to be compelling regardless. So, and the special effects aren't going to matter. So that's, to me, it's all about the characters. Oh yes. And you say that and it's just the, the flash of, you know, uh, Agent Smith and uh, the other characters just are there. They are so good. They are so amazing. Of course, let's face it. It's not a movie without its flaws. It goes without saying. It has so many things going wrong, especially the uh, sequels to it, because I love the first yeah. one. It goes without saying. But second and third, I love the, the second too, because the the whole action scene and uh, Morpheus with the katana sword, those are amazing to me. But let's face it, they were not as good as the first one. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I started seeing these reviews and people were kept saying the second and the third one weren't good. And I was against this. I hated that. I thought, no, the whole trilogy is amazing. But as I, as I get older and start grasping the philosophical, you know, meanings and everything behind those films, I understand why the first one was the best. It's understandable. All right, well, let's get into it. We're talking today about 1999's The Matrix, uh, written and directed by the Wachowski brothers, as they went by then, and now they would just be the Wachowskis, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss, Hugo Weaving, Gloria Foster, and Joe Pantoliano. Oh, yes. And I love, love, love Hugo Weaving in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real. What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? What is happening to me? The answer is out there, Neo. It's the question that drives us. What is the Matrix? The Matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? They're watching you, Neo. Human beings are a disease. You are a cancer of this planet. And we are the cure. So to start, how do you how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? And I, when I write that question, I mean that's always my first question. And my thought was, are there really that many people who have not seen The Matrix? But I guess, especially in in your part of the world where theatrical experiences aren't a regular thing, perhaps there are. So how do you sell this movie to someone? How do you describe this movie to someone who hasn't seen it? So the thing is, I have to set the background is that even though. Most people are too accustomed to other movies. And uh, basically, people here like movies, the old ones like Bruce Lee and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and all those things. You still have a huge audience who are, who grew up with uh, animation, by the way. Everyone knows anime. And the problem is, we grew up watching them. We don't know what it is because it's there's only one national TV. And it used to broadcast so many of those anime. And the audience inadvertently is kind of accessible to films like The Matrix because you know The Matrix is kind of inspired by a very, very good anime, which is Ghost in the Shell. It's heavily inspired from that. And 
people here grew up watching those. So it's kind of easy to get them to watch The Matrix because I can tell them it's about this guy who thinks he's the one who lives in this world. He doesn't believe that, you know, I try to make it as simple as possible. You can't get into the complexity of The Matrix. You have to make it just like a show they would watch regularly. This guy, he does martial arts. He believes that this world is not a reality. And he suddenly gets in contact with these mysterious figures that tell him, yes, you're right. There is another world and the real world is not what you think it is. And that is the matrix and you have to watch it. <laughs> and people will believe it and will, they will go watch it because there's, even though there are no theaters here, there's a huge audience that loves movies. Okay. So why out of all of the movies there, did you choose this one to discuss? Uh, that's because it has an emotional aspect. All of us have this. It doesn't matter what movie it is, because sometimes it could be the worst movie ever, you know, critically, and, uh, you know, the reviewers will bash it. But for you, it will have some significance. And for me, it did. It was, I don't know, like I said, I grew up in a developing country, and it is a country with many problems and many things happening. And I remember very vividly when I, watching, when I was watching The Matrix and the scene where Morpheus was explaining to Neo about the fact that we are living in a world that we're living in a world that we think is free, but it's basically a prison that we cannot see, we cannot touch, and we cannot smell. And that particular phrase connected so much with me because I can feel it. Hmm. I can feel the... I would say oppression from this country. I can feel that we think we have freedom, but we don't. We mm. have a bleak future. We are segregated as young ones. You know, the, the government doesn't like us. The job opportunities are rare. And that time when I watched the, watched the Matrix, even though, you know, the whole meaning is not exactly that, it resonated so much with me. Even to this day, I kid you not, I didn't even talk about this with my friends. We were just walking and he was telling me, you know what, sometimes we were talking about things that happen in our families. And he was like, holy cow, I feel like we're in the matrix because it feels like these are programs. And even though we are separated, we didn't live in the same town, it still happens the same way, the same sort of subjects being tackled. And it feels like these are just def defected programs or something. So that's why I love The Matrix. It, the whole theme of it is amazing. That's really interesting. I, I, I didn't think about it. The, the movie does kind of take place in a major metropolitan area. Yeah. And I just kind of took for granted that everybody would connect with that. But I guess more developing country areas aren't going to have that same experience. And yet it still sounds like you found something to connect to with it. So that's, that's really fascinating. I, I, that's an aspect I hadn't thought about with the movie. I think it makes sense. You can easily make the machines as the government, you know, the, the, the machines that are killing, the machines that are operating the whole matrix, because it, it has some truth to it. We are run by our government. There's propaganda. There's things that are, you know, working their way and everything. And we as people can feel that sometimes. Some of us don't care. Some of us are just living their lives. But there is this percentage of people that feel this. 
especially the youth that want to do things, that want to live their life freely, but they can feel this oppression. So they're always, and we always, ask this question. Is this the real world? Is this the real life that we have? That's why the Matrix connects with us so deeply. Yeah, I mean, it is a, a system of control. I mean, that's Morpheus flat out says what the Matrix is, is control. Yeah. And as we learn in, in this movie and as they go into kind of in the sequels as well, is that it is about different systems used to establish that control. I, I really connect with what you're saying because when I was watching this over today, I mean, I've probably seen this movie easily a dozen, <laughs> two dozen times. Yeah. I was watching it again today and I was thinking about those systems of control and how they relate with the world we live in now. And specifically all the things that you just mentioned as far as, you know, governments and, and different at the different levels, the local government controls this and the state government controls this and the national government controls this. And you have this system and, you know, that we live in this existence. Surveillance and all those things. Well, we live in this existence where everything is a system. In order to pay your bills, you have to have a job. In order to have your job, you have to do this. And, you know, it, it's it's this cycle, this non-ending, repeating cycle that our, our daily lives are. Yeah. And one could very easily say that right there connects to the systems of control as represented in the Matrix. You know, they, they tell Neo... You are two people. One has a promising future, but essentially the undertext of that is if you decide to be Thomas Anderson, you're going to have this job that you're going to come to on time and you're going to work your day and then you're going to have your, your little bit of time when you're off and then you're going to go to sleep and you're going to do the same thing over and over and over again. And then your other one is this Neo who doesn't have a future. You know, I mean, it's, it's all that system of control that you're talking about. Oh, by the way, that scene... I love so much. So it's kind of beside the point I'm going to have to talk about this because that scene is one of the most iconic scenes for me in any film. Again, because it has some sort of a uh, emotional attachment to me. I'm, I'm obviously not a native English speaker. It goes without saying. <laughs> I'm from Algeria <laughs> and English is my fourth language. So also at the time I was learning English. So first I, f I watched the movie in French. Didn't like it. The French is always, they, they, are, they, they rarely do a good job in uh, dubbing something. So the second time when I watched it in English, when uh, my cousin brought it because it was a DVD and you have languages, all of a sudden, like I said, the character of Agent Smith and Hugo Weaving's performance resonated so much with me. Uh, you know, as someone who's learning English, I've always fantasized about being able to speak that way, being able to convey <laughs> power, you know. And I want to hopefully someday have the opportunity to have some sort of a character that I can portray that is like Agent Smith. And I use that in many occasions as I can. That's one of the perks of being a non-native English speaker. You can choose the way you speak English. Either way. That's true. Fast forward a bit to where... He was watch. He was talking to Morpheus. Yeah, that's. I was going to transition us there. So go ahead. Yeah. So here's the deal. Like you said earlier, I kind of watch the movie twice a year, or something. Sometimes more. Sometimes you know you're not feeling good, and things happen outside that you have no control over. So it's always good sometimes to pop the movie and watch it, and you're like, man, there's so many things that are being said in this one that I can connect with in the reality. 
it's weird sometimes. I feel like someone is talking through me in that movie, and it's amazing. So he was talking about, you know, having this version, this perfect version of, uh, you know, uh, the universe, for example, not the universe, the planet, uh, the matrix version of Earth, and it didn't work because humans do not like perfect. And yeah, that they rejected this perfect world. That that they are <clears throat> the original version of the Matrix was a perfect world, and they lost all these crops because. And their assumption is because the humans rejected perfection. Yeah, and it's it didn't it didn't work. So they have to create, or they had to create a new one where there is imperfections and things happening and inequality and all those things, so that you know humans function. And I remember connecting that to the fact that well, you know what. There is imperfection here. There is imposed bureaucracy. If you want to go get some government paper, there's so much weird stuff that is inexplicable. And as you grow up and you start reading about, you know, how the governments work and how they are doing these things and running these things, it's a, it's basically, a, you know, a case study. And bureaucracy is imposed so that people get too preoccupied to question what the governments are doing. We are too mm -hmm. busy trying to get the bread on table, too busy trying to get, you know, our next government issued paper and, and, and these things. And that's kind of what, you know, Agent Smith was talking to about, uh, was talking about to Morpheus, there you go. <laughs> and I love that. Every time I rewatch the movie, as I get older, I discover something new and I love it. I just love it. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. In fact, that that scene with Morpheus where he's he unplugs, he takes his sunglasses off and he takes the earpiece out and yeah. he has that speech about I hate this place. I hate this place. This zoo, this prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it. I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. If there is such a thing, I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink. Every time I do, I fear that I've somehow been infected by it. It's repulsive, isn't it? And it dawned on me for the first time today that this agent Smith has already evolved. You know, we see that in the sequels that he becomes something more, but he's already evolved beyond just being uh, the gatekeeper of the matrix. As Morpheus puts it earlier in the film, he has an emotional response going on. He hates this place. He hates these people. He hates the smell and he wants to get away from it as fast as he can. And it's like, he's not like the other agents. You never see any of the other agents being anything other than cogs in the machine like they're supposed to be. And yet there's something different about Agent Smith in this first movie. And I think a lot of that is part of also what you were saying with his conversation with Neo earlier on in the film. You know, he lays things out. He talks to him. He ex establishes who he is as a character. But who he is as a character is very different from who he probably should be. And that's what you know? I like about, you know, Hugo's performance is that the first time you see him and you can, you know, you see him with other agents, you can feel like he's kind of different. There's something not normal. It's not normal. It's not comparable to the other agents with him because they feel bland. They feel just like, you know, 
mm-hmm. characters that are moving, like other programs. But there is something off about him. There's something unnatural. And of course, that scene you talked about kind of affirms this. So I loved this because it transitions him to, you know, in the other movies and uh, how he got, you know, the things that happened to him at the end and how he talks with Neo later and the way he wants to do things after he have been defeated by the one and now he no longer have purpose. So basically, no longer having purpose, that means that he has free will and he chooses the things that he does. But yeah, it links together beautifully and I love that. Even though people don't like the second or the third one, it still ties in perfectly with the story. Yeah. And it's fascinating that you use the term free will, because that's one of the underlying themes of this movie is whether there is free will. That Neo doesn't like the idea of fate because he doesn't like the idea that he's not in control of what happens to him. He says that early on in the film, and he's relieved when the Oracle tells him he's not the one. And she even says, you're probably happy to hear that because you don't believe in this mumbo jumbo anyway. But as he becomes the one, you, you're realizing he's he's on this track. He does have a fate. He does have a destiny. And one of the things I love about the sequels, I'm, I'm a big fan of the sequels, uh, but one of the things that you establish with the sequels is even being the one is a system. It is a, a unit of control that was built into the Matrix. Yeah. It is nothing unique uh, unto itself. It is unique. Uh, among all of the other people plugged into the matrix, but it is nothing unique unto itself. It's just another system of control. And so Neo never really has free will. His role, even in a superpowered position as the one is dictated for him. Whereas you're right. Smith does have free will somehow he's the machine. And yet he somehow manages to get some sort of free will. Indeed. That's messed up. <laughs> and it's funny because it took me some time. Uh, when I was younger, uh, that scene with the architect and uh, as he was explaining this whole concept to him and making him choose, you know, the two doors, I didn't understand any of that, to be honest. Let, let's be frank here. At the time, that's I think that's one of the uh, main kind of problems is that it, the sequels are too complicated for simple-minded teenagers or young ones to understand that if you rewatch and if you're into philosophy you will understand perfectly he was talking about this whole concept of free will and that even as the one he was just another program and he was expecting him to go to the left to the door where he needs to save you know just a handful of zion in order to reboot the matrix and uh, redo the whole thing together and of course, Neo doesn't do that because, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work. And then he, as he's going to the other door, uh, you know, the architect is telling him that this is the chemical reaction and everything. But at the same time, you can think or you can see that the architect is just a machine. He's not thinking like, I don't know, a human being, for example. He's just a logical, mathematical program that is thinking mathematically. And for him, it is most logical to go to that door, save that number of, you know, survivors and redo the whole thing. But for Neo, who doesn't like the fact that he hasn't, you know, he has no control and he always kind of in the deep 
deep down you know in his core he kind of wants to challenge this concept he doesn't like being controlled and always being uh, part of this grand fate thing so he goes to the other side even though people always try to inter- interpret it as love for example no actually that was the logical aspect that's that's the logical thing the logical choice that he needed to do which is try to save trinity and save the world with it and we know what happened later yeah, you mentioned the sequels being a little too heady for for simple teenagers and that was actually a criticism of of this movie from the cast that the Wachowskis made oh, really? the cast read several novels of philosophy including kind of the one that's at the core uh Simulacra and Simulation which appears in the movie that's where more uh, Neo is keeping the discs at the beginning of the movie and a lot of its ideas are kind of woven into the fabric of this he made the cast read that and um Carrie Ann Moss said she found it a little too challenging for her that you know some of the ideas the Wachowskis were putting into the movie were really kind of pushing her mind too far uh, it, but at the same time, that's one of the things Lawrence Fishburne loved about it was the was the philosophy, was the ideas that were being used here. Oh yeah, no, no. As as someone who's that's that's the thing that I love about this movie because when I was younger, the second, especially the second one, because I I told you I'm a big fan of the second one uh, compared to the third one. But the, the second one, I loved the action scenes as I was young. I disliked the uh, conversation with the Maravengian when he was talking about causality and, uh, you know, consequences and all those things. Those are f- some of my least favorite scenes when I was young. Why? Because it was too much exposition. He was talking too much. He was talking about concepts that me as a kid did, did not understand. But the more I watched the movie, the more I began to change. Uh, the more I began to really veer to the scenes where they are talking, where they're exposing, because you start to understand the meanings, you start to understand what, you know, the things that are talking about. And especially if you understand the uh, Merovingian and as he's talking about the causalities and uh, cause and consequence and how it plays later into the story of Neo and uh, the actions and the, uh, you know, the events that unfold later that his actions and, uh, you know, brings the consequences that happen to him and uh, the things that happen in the movie in general. Of course, I didn't understand all of that. So I completely and perfectly understand when people tell us or the reviewers tell us that it was too complicated. Yes, of course, in perspective, you just want to watch some sort of a nice action fantasy, you know, like movie. And all of a sudden, this too much, you know, there's too much exposition. There's too much philosophy. And if you're not prepared, you will not understand. And I didn't. But again... It's kind of like a fine wine. The more it ages, the more you age, the more you understand it. It's amazing. I like that. It's amazing. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions, or The Purge, which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, 
Guys. Oh, oh, hey, Producer, producer Michael. Michael, hi. Uh, well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Friday the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. All right, well, I'm going to I'm going to steer us back to the the original Matrix and oh, yes, so I can save the other movies for later. Um and you kind of gave me an in here. I I'm going to shorten. I usually look at a lot of the critical review type stuff to talk about, but Roger Ebert specifically says something that addresses what you just said. Uh his, he gave a positive review for The Matrix but said, "The Matrix did not bore me. It interested me so much indeed that I wanted to be challenged even more. I wanted it to follow its material to the audacious conclusions, to arrive not simply at victory but at revelation. I wanted an ending that was transformational like Dark Cities and not one that simply throws us a sensational action sequence. In short, I wanted a third act." So he he's kind of almost going the opposite direction of what you said that he he wanted more depth to it than action at least with the first matrix movie now I didn't look to see how he responded to the other two films cuz we're not specifically talking about those today but I I just I find that interesting that you're talking about as a kid uh not liking the talky parts so much in the movie because they they they're not only exposition they're philosophy and Ebert's here saying, I kind of wish there had been more of that. I wish there had been more of the material that challenged me. Yeah, it's understandable. Uh, understandable. But again, uh, it's such a good movie that even though it talks to a young one, it talks to a young version of me, it still finds a subject that connects me deeply with. You no longer watching some sort of an entertaining, you know, action uh, action movie, you know, like, like the Avengers in these uh, days. You are all of a sudden watching something that is speaking to your soul that leaves a mark after you watch it literally changes your you know perspective in life not dramatically obviously but it's, it gives you a perspective there are a few movies that does that a few movies that makes you reflect and everything and you finish as a kid you finish watching this movie and you're like wow this is amazing that i am not you know alone in this universe that there are other people who are actually thought about this even though it is presented in a fantasy setting, it still connects with me. But, of course, as you grow older, the philosophy aspect comes in and you start thinking about all of these aspects. And I kind of agree with him. It's not easy to implement these things. But the more of these subjects in the movie, the better, actually. it's They, they talk too much in the, uh, the second and the third one. That's why the people are lost. But in the first one, there's just enough that's just enough. There's action and there's, you know, uh, exposition, there's story, there's philosophy, there's deep meanings, there's, th there's things that the Oracle tells Neo that will happen later, you know, things that makes him understand things later and all those things. And it's just a perfect blend. That's why it's a balance of all of those things. You want to be, you know, you're a philosopher, you will find your likings in that movie. You're an action guy, there's some groundbreaking action in The Matrix. It's the movie that revolutionized, you know, that the camera 360 thing. And yeah. if you are a guy who's, you know, neutral, you'll find some other things in the movie. Whereas the other two, you know, 
sometimes they veer too much into one thing uh, compared to the other. Well, I, one of the ideas that's come up on this podcast in the past kind of resonated from a line in, in the movie that I kind of want to throw at you. Uh, after Neo is unplugged from the Matrix, I think it's on their trip to see the Oracle. Yeah. He makes the statement. Yeah, it's on the way to the Oracle. He makes the statement. He, he's looking out and he remembers eating at that restaurant. And he turns to Trinity and says, I have all these memories from my life. None of them are real, are they? And it really kind of one of the ideas that we've talked about in previous episodes is the idea of memory and nostalgia, that nostalgia can almost be a toxic thing because we get this attachment to the past. And when we revisit it, we end up disappointed. What do you think about that as far as relation to the Matrix? Is it a bad thing when he goes back into the Matrix and suddenly has these memories and which are emotional responses to places that in reality don't even exist? I don't know. Did he have a conversation about this with Morpheus? And he was telling him, no, these were experiences that happened to you. Even though they didn't exist, they're still there. They still contribute to you as a human being. So, you know, at the same time, it's not something bad. But yeah, it's it's understandable. You know, most often they're not. Again, it connects with you. Nostalgia is something really strong. But sometimes when you revisit this, you're like, well, Really? That's not how I remembered. <laughs> and you feel like I don't know, if you like a bit wasted. I'm a big into gaming and sometimes I feel nostalgic to some sort of a game and I really go dig it from some sort of a nineties folder. And when you bring it and you look at it and you're like, wow, seriously, I love this one. I know I love it, but it's not how I remembered. Nostalgia is seriously, just like you said, extremely toxic because, I don't know, the, uh, your memory alters its things. When you see something, it's not exactly how you see it sometimes. You just get changed. It depends on you know, how you see things and your perspective on life. Again, another amazing perspective from The Matrix. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to this movie and it doesn't, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me what I can get out of a viewing of it. You know, I know a lot of people criticize it for just being fluffy philosophy, but the thoughts are there if you choose to mind them. And I know a lot of people write it off as an action movie, and it's, I still say that the action sequences hold up pretty well. I mean, there's a reason why bullet time became such a trend and such a, a, oh, a yes. thing that was even parodied. Oh, yes. It's, it is groundbreaking. What more do you want? I think the these types of people are kind of the anti-hype train. It's like they feel like they have to say some. Oh no, it's not that big, friend. That's the movie who created a new genre, and not you know an entire new genre, but that's the movie who created the bullet time. That's the movie who did the you know the slow and the three sixty camera. There was no such thing as that before it. That was. The movie that did that. Yeah. You can't deny that aspect and you have to give it credit for that. Even though, okay, like I said, it has its flaws. It's probably, yes, it's just on the fluffy side in the philosophy aspect. Yes. Philosophy is such a huge thing. But again, it was presented in an amazing package that even for people who don't, you know, who don't delve into those things, who will not catch on to the uh, deep aspects or deep meanings of the movie that will stick connect with it that's why it's perfect well and the thing that i want to ask a lot of those people is have you ever tried reading simulacra and simulation because baudrillard is thick i mean the, the book that they used as kind of a foundation philosophically for this movie ha have you ever tried reading it 
Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, I, I I think I told you in email, and I've talked about it before on on the podcast. Yes, I wrote my senior thesis uh, for my undergraduate degree. I wrote my senior thesis as a philosophical support for the Matrix trilogy for the trilogy as a whole. So basically, I said the sequels were driven by the philosophy, not by financial gain. And I had to read Baudrillard for that. And it's you have to read it out loud in order to try and capture the nuances of these long sentences that he's using. It's really thick. So if we can get that in a abridged form in cinematic form, I'm all for that. And then if people want to go down that rabbit hole, uh, to use the Matrix's metaphor, <laughs> then then great. And if they don't, at least they got a taste of it through the movie. Indeed. Now, okay, we have to talk about something. The relation that the Matrix has to Ghost in the Shell. I don't know if you've watched that movie or not. Do not, and I repeat, do not watch the new one. Watch first the one that was in the 90s. Standalone complex. You have to see the vision. You trust me. You will see the Matrix. I'm not talking about. Okay, I see the. You will see the Matrix there. It's such an amazing movie. You know, the so much of the elements of Ghost in the Shell are present in the Matrix. So they talked about this. Yeah, they they openly the uh, the Wachowskis talked about this. Did I say their names correctly? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, they talked about this, and you can see the inspiration because, all right, I'm not going to be that guy who tells you I watched the Ghost in the Shell before the Matrix. No, it was because they said this was based on the Ghost in the Shell that I went ahead and watched it. And trust me, I'm going to talk tiny bit, you know, very tiny bit about the Matrix. It's uh, it's about the new and the old uh, Ghost in the Shell. The old Ghost in the Shell will grab you in the first 10 minutes. You just need the first 10 minutes and you're in there. You're in that universe. It's such an amazing vision. And that's what you see in the Matrix, by the way. Whereas the new modern uh, ghost in the shell is just, it's just, it's just a, sh a ghost in a shell. It's just not that good. But if you go and watch that movie, you'll understand the philosophical aspects of the Matrix. It's mm -hmm. not a novelty in that domain. Because that movie is a huge philosophical, you know, debate about the human, the soul, and, you know, being connected to this world and all those things. It takes a place in a, in a future uh, Earth where things are not as they seem. And, you know, you're connected to the Internet and your soul is connected to the Internet. So it poses this debate of what is the soul? That's the core of Ghost in the Shell, to me personally, of course. It poses this debate of what is the soul and everything because the protagonist will there's something i'm not going to spoil it of course there's something major i appreciate that because i haven't seen it because <laughs> of that saying we're watching movies man spoiling things like these are you know equal to a, a major crime so <laughs> the major character there's something and she is a major by the way <laughs> it's funny uh the character there's something major that happens to her that will enhance this philosophical aspect. So after you watch that movie, you will think, okay, I understand now why The Matrix is heavy on that, you know, on these terms, on these aspects, on the uh, self and on the free will and everything. Because that movie paved the way for The, for the Matrix. It's 
so much connected to it and not being uh, not being the same at all it's inspired but it it poses the same things it's like you can see uh the directors watching it and thinking okay we have to make a movie that enhances these things we have to think of a scenario where these things are more into our world because that's futuristic sometimes there's a disconnect in future but the matrix is more rooted in what happens it's like you can easily use the matrix to you know explain situations on our universe our planet and things that are happening even now but you can't really use ghost in the shell again too much into the future so that's the thing that i love well you've sold me i'm definitely going to have to check that out it's not the first time it's come up on this show and i i suppose i'm i'm destined to watch it eventually one way or the other oh yeah it's an amazing movie the other thing about the matrix that you know, I, I haven't heard criticized as much as something like Star Wars, but it very much follows the the typical uh, hero's journey storyline, you know, right down to the idea of death and rebirth. And that's even foreshadowed at by the Oracle when the Oracle says, you know, that I'm not the one. Sorry, kid. You got the gift. But it looks like you're waiting for something. What? Your next life, maybe. Who knows? That's the way these things go. And that's that's such huge foreshadowing. And I, it's still one of those elements of the movie that I absolutely love. Now, I have to undersell the movie a bit. Again, we're going to go back... I don't know. It's working perfectly. Going back to the ghost, to the ghost in the shell, and the fact that the directors are too amazed by animation and Japanese animation. The thing, this aspect is pretty common in Japanese animation, and I've watched a ton of those, and it is pretty common for me. It's normal to have you know this protagonist and these things happen to him. It happened a lot back in the day. There's many similar stories like this. So for me, it wasn't something strange or new. It wasn't a nuance to me, but I guess for people who haven't that much experience in, uh, you know, the Japanese industry and the way they tell stories, yes, it's understandable, you know, having this character, all of those things happening around him, the foreshadow, there's so much foreshadowing in, uh, you know, the uh, animation industry, you'll be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I've never been a big anime fan. I don't know why. I, I have a couple that I've seen that I liked, but for the most part, it just doesn't appeal to me. But I'll, I'll definitely check this one out. Uh, as I said, not the first time it's come up, and I think you've sold me on sitting down and watching it. So, <laughs> well, well, the new stuff uh, just for children, to be honest. I'm talking about post '90s because at the time the Japanese industry didn't have enough money. There's the, there's the economical crisis. They didn't have enough money to make Hollywood, you know, type movies. So they are confined. They needed to make, they had ideas and they needed a medium. And it was animation. It goes without saying that. This is the long story short. So they make beautiful stories and we get exposed to them. And of course we get inspired to make such things, you know. That's exactly how they were thinking. That's exactly how The Matrix came to be. And as a fan myself, I love it. I really, really love it. And there's many nods to it and so on and so forth. And let's just, just uh, you know, distance ourselves from that subject. I don't know, going back to the Matrix, sometimes I see the double cut, by the way. How do you explain that phenomenon? 
You see the what now? The double black card. Do you remember that scene? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I see it. I, I swear to God, it happens. I don't know, it's just the two cards or something, but you see it and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's uh, that's one of the things I love about that moment is it it keys in on something that we all experience. I mean, everybody has deja vu in some moment in their life. You know, they have some experience that they swear they've been through before, or they had a memory of it or or something. And it rationalizes it by saying it's the matrix resetting in some way. And yeah. so, you know, you get that when, when Neo says, Oh, it's deja vu. And they say, no, it's the re- matrix re- reloading. Something has gone wrong. You're like, Oh crap. And then when the next time you experience that in your own life, you're like, Oh wait, the matrix is just a movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> Again, going back to that uh, story I was telling you, what we were talking about me and my friend about, uh, you know, family situations. It was, so relatable i was practically finishing what he was talking about so that's exactly what's going to happen this 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 and your mother said that and that and that and we were talking about you know we found ourselves talking about the matrix i told him funny there's this podcast i'm going to be in that is going to be talking about the matrix and here we are randomly walking in the street and it just barged in into our life because right such a similar situation two different families Two distance, you know, there's a big distance. And yet, what is the similarity? That's the core, the thing that I love about The Matrix. It strikes, you know, even though it is fantasy-based, it strikes deep core things that happen to everyone throughout the entire planet. You think that, okay, maybe it takes place in, you know, uh, in the United States and it's only for the American. No, we are so deeply connected to it. It's amazing. Well, and and, I mean, there's little moments in it too that I'm sure, you know, can be related to in different ways. One of my, one of my favorite tiny little moments is the, the first altercation between Smith and Morpheus when he, you know, busts out of the wall or whatever. And they're, they're fighting there in the house right after the black cat moment you just mentioned. Yeah. One day. And, and Smith introduces him, you know, it says I am agent Smith and Morpheus's response is you all look the same to me. <laughs> and it's like the irony of a black man saying that line is is not lost it shouldn't be lost on anybody after decades of people saying oh all black people look alike to me you know the fact that lawrence fishburne gets to be the one to say that line is just so phenomenal and that's something i think a lot of different cultures can relate to oh yes oh yes it goes without saying and there's so many of this but we talked about this, you know, when you are watching something and because I'm exposed to the Asian culture, for example, I can easily discern if someone who is from China, someone who is from Japan, uh, there is notable differences. But someone who isn't exposed to this is like, they all look alike to me. It's the same thing. And it it's an amazing aspect too, like I said. The fact that they kind of reverse the whole thing, like <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne saying this, it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. And and the truth is all the agents should look alike. I mean, ideally they, they should be the same, but it's just still the power of giving that line to Fishburne is just one of my my favorite moments about this movie. I mean, not that there's there's a ton of moments about this movie. I mean, Joey, oh, yeah. we we've we've barely scratched the surface and we've actually almost talked for our hour, but you know, I love Joey Pantaleone, uh Joey Pants. 
his his role as Cypher in this is still one that I, I can never forget when I see him in anything else. We just talked about Midnight Run a couple of episodes ago, and you know I still see him, and I'm like, well, you're a piece of shit. You just, you know, you're, you're a traitor. You're you betrayed everybody. Oh wait, this is a different movie. But yet at the same time, he kind of has that tendency to always play that character that is a betrayer. That's because he's good at it. That's the thing. Uh, the, the, oh yeah. My favorite, actually, my favorite scene is the diner scene when he was talking to with uh, Agent Smith, and he was eating the that delicious, juicy piece of meat, the steak. He was oh yeah, eating. that was amazing. But at the same time you you lose yourself you think okay that's a guy that's not a, that's what i love about you know acting and actors he became the guy he became cypher it wasn't some guy portraying the character at that particular moment for me i forgot i was watching the movie i felt like these two guys you know are talking to each other and he was like okay i want to be an actor i want to be resurrected and this steak tastes really good and all those things and that's amazing i think Talking about the cast, again, like you said, we are barely scratching, scratching the surface. We can talk about, uh, you know, we can take the movie from the first minute from the text in the computer all the way. And I think we can take, we can put this into 10 hour podcast or something. But oh, yeah. the, 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 the thing is, that's the, the, that's the genius of the uh, writing of the characters. Like you said earlier, if the characters aren't good, the whole thing will crumble apart. And each and every character, even the ones that are minor, are still so good, so well presented. Even the two minor ones that I honestly, I have to admit, I forgot their names. The ones that get unplugged, you know, uh, the one uh, not like this, you know, the famous not like this. Switch and APOC. Uh, and and Switch is Switch is a really interesting character because she's donned in all white when everybody else is in all black. And I've always yeah. wanted a backstory to her. I've always wanted to know more. And what little I could find in my research is she originally was only supposed to be half that character. The reason her character's name is Switch is that she was supposed to be male or female in the real world, and then the opposite gender within the Matrix. So kind of capitalizing on that, uh, people you know, project themselves as a different person online. And, and that was the way they were going to go with that character. And they ended up just staying with the actress for both sides, but there's no explanation. Why is she wearing white when everybody else is wearing black? And I'd love to know more about that. Yeah. But still it's, it's so important, you know, so interesting that these minor characters that yes, you forget their names, but still you will not have the movie without them. They're so heavy, so important. To the story and of course you have the character of morpheus which is one of the best again even though i still prefer hugo weaving and uh, agent smith yes neo is you know the protagonist yes uh you know the others are too important yeah the powers of good and all those things but still at the end of the day i think my all-time favorite will always be agent smith i have no idea why i am emotionally attacked. i think it's the authority uh, you know the way he speaks and all those things but i still i like agent smith in the entirety of the, of the matrix trilogy i think his character and the way he is or you know always ominous and uh, the, the, his presence are the best for some reason even though morpheus is a close you know uh, contender for the number one spot for me funny enough I'm not that connected with Neo. What do you think about this? What's what's the what's the uh, characters that you like or the actors and all those things? 
Oh, for me, it's definitely Morpheus. I mean, I'm I, I'm a huge Lawrence Fishburne fan in general, and I but this movie probably contributed a large part to that because I just I love the the very zen presentation of the character for the most part. He's one of the characters I'm a little disappointed by in the sequels because he goes a little action star. Although you gotta love him with that katana, but I, okay. I just I love the presence Fishburne brings to the character that he is just this very determined, but yet calm master. I mean, he is the, the master here to Neo, even though he's, you know, he, he, he's not perfectly that archetype. He, he, I love him. And that's, he's my favorite character hands down. Oh yes. I think, um, of course the most, um, the, the best, one of the best scenes is when he's, you know, when Neo just learned jujitsu and uh, he was like, show me. And yeah, you feel like you are Neo. It's such an amazing presentation, such an amazing character that in that scene, you're Neo. You are trying to learn and, you know, you put, you are put into the perspective and you see him as this master who knows something, but he knows he can't tell you how to do this. You have to figure it out for yourself. And that's amazing, like I said. Yeah, I, I love Morpheus. Um, I, I enjoy the Oracle for her little appearances. It was a shame the actress died and they had to replace her for the third movie because I thought that oh, she did. What? Yeah, it's a different actress in the third movie. They they make a reference to her having an incident and essentially having to be rebooted. Uh, but Gloria Foster passed away after the second movie, so it's a different actress in the third film. But I just she I, I love the fact that from the get go she says not what you expected, huh? And she isn't. When you say you're going to see the Oracle, you're expecting some sort of like ancient Greek temple or Yoda figure or something. Yeah. And she's in this dingy apartment, you know, making cookies. Yeah. <laughs> she just talks, uh, you know, normally, and she's down to earth and everything. I love that actress. Holy cow! I, I, here's, here's my uh, my defense. I thought it's just, you know, like one of those things that happen when the actress probably didn't, you know, they had some sort of an argument or they just decided to replace her for whatever reason. Just like what happens in the eye, the first Iron Man, the, uh, I don't know who's that. Right, Terrence uh, Howard, yeah. And so all of a sudden he just disappeared. The same thing that happened in Thor and us, all those things. So I just wrote it off as one of those uh, occurrences, but I did not know she passed away. She was an amazing actress. Well, that did actually happen with the Matrix. The actor who plays uh, Tank, uh, you know, the the controller. Yeah, Tank. I know Tank. He caused difficulty, and so they didn't bring him back for the sequels. He's replaced by Link for the sequels, and I, I think they actually upgraded with that. But yeah, that that certainly happens, and it happened here, just not with Gloria Foster. All right, man, we are running long on time from usual, so I'm going to go ahead and jump us to the end credits here, unless you have any last thoughts you want to share on The Matrix. Man, you know we can talk this for, you know talk about this for hours. You know this. We can Oh yeah, we've barely scraped the-, the surface of the notes I had. <laughs> <laughs> we could we could we were just okay, I have to apologize for this being too much, you know, uh, chaotic. But I think for this particular movie, the theme of chaos, the way we're jumping, you know, left and right, this scene, that scene works perfectly for this movie. Because chaos is also a huge theme in the the Matrix. But that said, I love the Matrix. And I thank you so much for having the in this podcast. And I would love to come back if you have any other movie we'll talk about. Well, I tell you what, I'll make you a deal. Right now, I don't have repeat guests. That's just one of my rules. But I <laughs> have kind of set a mental 
line as to what point I'm going to have people back. And when I hit that line, I will have you back and we'll talk the next the next Matrix movie. All right. I'm going to spoil this for, for, for the future. If you are going to talk about The Terminator, I'm your man. <laughs> I have so okay. much to say about the Terminator, especially the newest one. I am so filled with you know. I want to explode on this, but we'll leave this uh, you know for the future. All right, let's turn to the end credits here. We start with the algorithm says uh, these are other movies that are recommended by various algorithms. They say you if you like the Matrix, you will like these movies. So this is kind of a lightning round, quick response. Do you like this movie? Do you not like this movie? In a lot of these cases, I have no idea how they're connected to the Matrix, but that's this is what the algorithm says. Shoot. So first up, the Fifth Element. Love it. Do you want me to elaborate? Uh, briefly it, it is a lightning round but you certainly can right. elaborate more it's just a tiny bit because there's a tiny tiny thing i don't know if you know about this or not but uh, the story is amazing and the, uh, the the characters and everything i don't like bruce willis uh, character obviously but the others amazing but i don't know if you remember the carb chase you do remember oh yeah i just we just did an episode on it so i've rewatched it recently that music you hear in the background is by sheb khalid and do you know what sheb khalid came from no Algeria. <laughs> he's, oh, really? He's my countryman. Yeah. He's a very, very well known. He revolutionized that genre and he became worldwide known. And that music you listen to is from Algeria. Just Oh, that's fun. fantastic. All right. Next up, Dark City. Mm, haven't watched it. Oh, we just did an episode on that one too uh, earlier in our run. It predates The Matrix by a year. And one of the things we discussed in that episode is why we thought The Matrix had better commercial success than that one. But it's totally worth checking out. Oh, I'm going to. All right. The Mummy. The early ones, entertaining. Yes. I loved them. Brandon Frazier was amazing in those things. To be honest, I don't care what the others are saying. It's an amazing movie. Yeah. John Wick. I love John Wick. It's, it's just. I it came at the perfect time. I was fed up with you know weak heroes. So having this invulnerable deity is just amazing. The, <laughs> the guy that doesn't die that does everything is awesome. I love the theme. Great. Um, the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh man, come on, come on. Do you want me to talk about this for all ten twenty hours? <laughs> the Lord of the Rings changed lives. It's such an amazing land of fantasy and everything. It, it opened my eyes to the, you know, the uh, medieval fantasy and all those things. It was for the Lord of the Rings that I played some, you know, video games that are in similar universes. And if, right. ultimately The Witcher. Uh, all right. Now we get into some ones I don't see how they're connected, but still your thoughts on them. Inception. Inception? I see why. I don't know. It's like a similar world because, you know, they are in these dreams and in a sense, the Matrix is kind of a big dream. So they, well, that's true. That's true. Relation. But Inception is amazing. Come on. It's awesome. Uh, one of my favorite characters, uh, what's the Japanese guy's name? Uh, he, he also did uh, The Last Samurai. With Ken Watanabe. Awesome, awesome guy. I love it. Yeah. I love that man's acting. He, he and I, he's the reason I liked the Last Samurai. Is just him, actually, in the Last Samurai. I think he, yeah. without him, the Last Samurai would be not that as good. No, uh, Gladiator. Uh, no, 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 no. I don't see any connection. I watched the, the Gladiator, by the way. My cousins, who are you know movie fanatics, rave about the Gladiator. Spoiler: I'm not a big fan. I, yeah. I love it. It's a good movie. I don't like it, though. All right. And last one, Forrest Gump. 
Oh, Forrest Gump is my fa- it has no connection. Come on. There's no connection <laughs> to the Matrix. It's an amazing movie. It's such an awesome perspective. And Tom Hanks did it did something, you know, uh, such he portrayed the character amazingly. And recently uh I was watching Tropic Thunder and uh, you know, that scene about never go full Oh, thing it was amazing it was so funny and made me yeah. watch the forest gump and everything when he was talking about all those things and it's just an amazing movie but no relation to the matrix it's become very fashionable to kind of poo poo on forest gump and i still like it now admittedly i haven't seen it probably in a good decade but i still hold a lot of uh emotional connection to that movie oh i just use the run forest run a lot <laughs> oh yeah All right. Lastly, we always end with a pop quiz for questions related to the movie we've chosen. Are you ready? Oh, please be. All right. Number one, fight choreographer Yun Wo Ping originally had no interest in working on this film and made a series of ridiculous conditions in hopes the Wachowskis would change their minds and stop asking for his participation. Which of the following was not one of his requests? A, a ridiculously high salary demand. B, complete creative control over the fights. C, a four-month training period with the actors. Or D, M&M's in his office with all the brown ones removed. <laughs> I like the brown ones thing, but I don't think it's... Um, I think it's the uh, training uh, one. I don't know, because I vaguely remember the making of The Matrix, and they talked about this uh, extended period of training where I think uh, Keanu Reeves threw his back or something. Yeah. No, the question is, which one was not one of his requests? Oh, was not? Yeah. Oh, I want to go to the uh, the M&M's one. That's correct. No, the M&M's one was not Ooh. one of his requests. All the rest of them, yeah. He, he insisted you know? on complete creative control and four-month training period and everything. Well, here's the when you don't know this because obviously I didn't know the answers. It's like, okay, this is so ridiculous that your brain is trying to tell you maybe it's the salary one. That's more, you know, yeah. a more happening thing. All right, number two, one of the actors injured themselves twisting an ankle, but refused to report the injury for fear of being recast. Oh, Which oh. actor was it? <laughs> uh, a, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I, it was Carrie Ann. Very good. I remember her telling that story, and she was so yeah. mortified. Such an amazing actress. And she continued yeah. to, I, 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 even, uh, I even have a vivid memory of uh, the choreography, again, in the from the making of The Matrix and uh, I didn't watch this. It's been years since I watched this. So it's, I'm amazed that I remember this. Yeah. I mean, she's, I, I love her. So, uh, all right. Three famously, Will Smith was offered the role of Neo and turned it down to star in wild, wild West. <laughs> what? <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> what was his response after he saw the final film? A, I could have done it better. B, I would have had more style. C, I would have messed it up. Or D, Wicka 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 Uh Tell you the truth, he's not an arrogant guy, so it's not the last one goes without saying. <laughs> I think it had to do something with the style one. Not certain. No, it was I would have messed it up. Oh, I know because I know he's a humble guy. So yeah. either that or that, because he likes to bring. Sorry, he likes to bring style into the the things. Because I remember, you know, his line from uh, Men in Black, which is an amazing movie, by the way. Oh, yeah. I make this look good. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Last one. Red pill or blue pill? Oh, that's an amazing one. You know what? If the world that I live in is perfect, 
and not you know perfect perfect if it is if it if, if all right if it is the country that i want to go to then definitely definitely the pill that would want me that would make me stay there which which one was it uh the blue pill is the one that keeps you in the matrix the red pill yeah. was the one that told you the truth that you know lets you go and see where the rabbit hole goes <laughs> right exactly yeah, so i would definitely take the blue pill if i was living in a pretty you know nice to me nice place but where i am right now you know which pill i would take <laughs> I would need Morpheus to finish his sentence. I would just take the pill. <laughs> Interestingly, the Wachowskis both said they would have taken the blue pill. Yeah, it depends on where you live. You, you, you think about it. You know, so what are your choices? Your life is, and your future is bleak. So you would take that pill. At least there's an adventure there. And if your life is fine, then why would you impose yourself into this weird scenario if you don't have to do it? Yeah. All right, man. Where can people find you? Do you have anything you want to promote? Not really, particularly. I am basically nobody. Goes without saying. But <laughs> I do have a YouTube channel. It's all things Yagami. I just play some video games and talk about things randomly. I also stream on Twitch.tv slash Mr. Yagami. And mm, because many people told me this, uh, I am a starting voice actor. So maybe someone who needs my quote-unquote talent i'm all yours <laughs> fantastic yeah i'm i'm sorry we didn't get deeper into the rabbit hole here but as you said you know this is, we could easily talk about this movie for 10 oh, hours yes. but i i love the opportunity to revisit it and i i really appreciate the conversation we've had about it today it was a pleasure to be here it was a pleasure talking to you about a movie that we both like yeah all right thanks have a nice day so there you go. That's The Matrix, although there's so much more we could have talked about with this movie. Uh, and I do I, I do intend to have Yakumi on the show again. And, you know, I mentioned maybe having him talk about The Matrix trilogy. But the truth is, if he wants to talk Terminator and nobody else has claimed it by the time I have him back on, let's go Terminator or let's go whatever. I, the man is so passionate about movies. I had a blast talking with him about it. And I hope you enjoyed the episode as well. As always, you can keep the conversation going through the week on social media. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, it's Have Not Seen This Podcast. Email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, most importantly, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week, where we continue to follow one of the major stars of this film, in a movie one critic called Keanu Reeves' best since The Matrix. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft, check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and so much thanks to Yagami for providing this week's conversation. Maybe you have a movie you want to talk about, one that means something to you or you're particularly astonished when you discover people have not seen. Well, come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com. Click the Be a Future Guest button. Submit the form there, and we'll get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. <laughs>